Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this episode, I'm going to talk about the Stooges' 1970 album Funhouse. When this album was released, I was three months old, so I really don't remember it at the time. Actually, I never even heard of the Stooges for the longest time, though I was aware of the singer, a gentleman born James Newell Osterberg Jr., but became Iggy Stooge for the Stooges' first album, before finally settling on the name Iggy Pop for this record, which is what he's still known as today. During the 80s, I only knew a couple of Iggy's songs, Lust for Life and Real Wild Child, So I wasn't a fan of Iggy's music. I'd only heard of the guy, in truth, largely due to his musically collaborative connection to David Bowie. Cut to the early 90s, and I acquired the Rolling Stone album guide. While flipping through it, I came across the Stooges and learned that Iggy Pop had a band before becoming a solo artist. And holy shit, were their albums highly rated. After reading the music descriptions, I decided to give the Stooges a shot. And this album was the first Stooges CD I bought, sight unseen and never hearing a note of their music. And that exciting story is how I discovered the Stooges by Aaron Martell. So let me give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia. Wiki, we'll fact check it later. Funhouse is the second studio album by American rock band The Stooges, released on July 7, 1970 by Elektra Records. It was produced by Don Gallucci and was recorded from May 11th to the 25th, 1970 at Elektra Sound Recorders in Los Angeles, California. As of March 2000, the album has sold 89,000 copies and did not chart. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We have Iggy Pop on vocals, Ron Ashton on guitar, his brother Scott Ashton on drums, and Dave Alexander on bass guitar. All songs on this album are credited to the entire band. With that done, let's move into a track-by-track review of this album. Kicking things off is Down on the Street. This track comes right at you with a fuck ton of swagger and attitude, as the music lays down an uncomplicated but relentless feeling of movement, like you're strutting down the street with the band, looking for action. Iggy lets out a few vocal noises and a scream, before taking command of the song like a sleazy dirtbag with a real low mind. I love the way Iggy delivers the lyrics. I see your pretty thing, ain't no wall. His voice is deep, supposedly inspired by Jim Morrison of The Doors whom Iggy claimed was his main vocal and performing influence. This music is much more raw than The Doors, though. Everything is in your face with very little subtlety. 
This band didn't fuck around. They came at you hard and mean and would go right through you if you got in their way. The lyrics are plain and simple. Iggy wants you, baby, and he's lost in love. Great album opener, and I'm already hooked. The next track is Loose. Another dirty riff from Ron, and a few introductory drum fills from Scott, leading to a mid-tempo chest thumper with Scott and Dave holding down the rhythm. Iggy peppers his vocals with screams and makes no bones about what he's after. I'll stick it deep inside, cause I'm loose! Despite the fact that he's coming on like a skeevy pervert, there's a certain slimeball charisma to Iggy that's undeniable. Ron rips out a blaring guitar solo, and the song comes back for a final verse and chorus until it bashes it out to the finish. The Stooges intended this to be the first track on the album, but Electra Records decided to go with Down on the Street. No matter. Loose is another kick-ass tune. Moving on to the next track, we get TVI. She got it. This one begins with Iggy unleashing a ferocious scream, and the song is littered with yelps and barks throughout. Ron plays an infectious riff, and the song lurches into the groove. This music just pounds the listener with its raw, sludgy power. Pop music this ain't. TVI was a term used by Ron and Scott Ashton's little sister Kathy. It stands for Twat Vibe I. Her and her friends used it to say someone was staring at one of them, like, Oh, he's totally got a TVI on you. Iggy Pop overheard them and thought it was funny, so he incorporated it into this song, with the lyrics describing a girl who is giving him the TVI. The song has a breakdown section, where the music gives space for Iggy to continue his primal screaming until it cuts off. But shit, that was just a false ending, as Ron cranks the riff back up, and Scott thumps a steady beat with no bass, so Iggy can howl out the last verse and chorus. Okay, now the track can end. Fuck yeah. Next up is Dirt. Scott Ashton rolls us into an even slower beat, and Dave Alexander plays a lumbering, druggy bass line that carries the heft of the song. Ron's guitar has an almost psychedelic tone that wanders in and out of the tune, as Iggy proclaims he's been dirt and he don't care because there's a fire that burns inside him that's raging to get out, so intense you can feel it when you touch him. Iggy's vocal delivery is charged up, intense, and absolutely amazing. He draws out the word burning and invests it with so much raw emotion that you really can feel it. 
In my book, he's one of the great overlooked and underrated rock vocalists of all time, and this track is a vocal tour de force. The effect of all these sounds is a trippy, psychedelic stew. Even the guitar solo carries the heady vibe. Yet another fantastic track to close the record's first side. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on 1970. tempo is faster, and this is probably the hardest rocking song on the record. The music deliberately feels like it might fall apart at any second, but it hangs together somehow and continues to plow forward. The lyrics of the first verse are taken from and altered a bit from the Chuck Berry song, You Can't Catch Me, but the feel and the intent of this song is completely different. This is loud, primitive, and aggressive, and when Iggy sings about love, he's not talking about some sweet, caring emotion, but raw, primal lust and nasty sex. I love the chorus, where Iggy screams over and over, I feel alright, as if he's trying to convince himself as much as the girl he's trying to get with. The music also reflects the times in the United States in which it was created. The 60s were over, flower power and the hippie dream had failed, and the Vietnam War was still raging. It was the dawn of a new, uncertain decade, and the unrest and anger left over from the 60s was spilling over into it. Now, I don't think Iggy was consciously channeling this rage, but I do think he was plugged into the climate of the times, and this manifested in his unhinged vocal delivery and unpredictable performances. This song defines the term proto-punk, and proved hugely influential to the punk bands that arose in the mid-70s. There's even a saxophone solo played by Steve McKay thrown in at the end of it that adds to the loose and chaotic atmosphere of the song as it breaks down to a raucous finish. For me, this is a standout track on the record. The penultimate song is the title track, Funhouse. Alexander plays a spaced-out bass line that he maintains for the next seven and a half minutes. Scott Ashton adds the drums that accentuate the bass and provide the song's rhythm, the reliable constant of the track. The rest of it feels like some sort of free-form madness, with Ron Ashton's wah-wah heavy guitar, Iggy Pop's vocal, and Steve McKay's continuously honking sax. The music on this track, and really the whole album, feels like it's right on top of you, when the Stooges were first recording this, the musicians were all separated by baffles and were wearing headphones. They hated how the music sounded this way, so Don Gallucci, the producer, had the studio stripped down and the instruments set up as if the band was going to play a live gig. So what you hear on this record is the band truly performing live, giving the music that heavy, raw edge. The instruments bleed into each other, and Iggy at times sounds like he's too close to the microphone. In this song, Iggy repeats a few phrases from other tracks on the album. I feel alright, pretty things. And he screams, whoops, yowls, and squawks all over the place. He was calling from the funhouse and he came to play. 
Steve McKay's sax just adds to the insanity as Iggy exhorts him to blow Steve. There seems to be a progression, or should I say regression, to the last three tracks on the album as each successive song loses more structure and devolves into a violent racket. Speaking of which, the final track on the album is L.A. Blues. This one hardly even qualifies as a song per se, as Iggy belts out a scream and everyone involved just wails on their instruments with no rhyme or reason. Don't try to pick out any melody. On this track, there's no form, no structure, no tune. Just a prolonged atonal cacophony. Guitar clashes with bass, clashes with drums, clashes with saxophone, clashes with vocals. The album is finally broken down to its bassist elements, but in the context of what's come before, it makes a sort of sense as the record's closer. I even dig it, as it's the final explosive release of the rest of the band's energy, but at five minutes, I feel it's a couple of minutes too long. This has to be... Aaron's Stinky Stinker. As I can hardly even call this an album deep cut. So that completes the track by track, and now I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the album is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is the shittiest of the shitty. Iggy Pop once said that he was inspired to become the wild frontman of a band when he saw a Doors concert and marveled at how Jim Morrison could control a large crowd on sheer force of personality. When the Stooges were first active in the Detroit, Michigan area, not many people bought their records, but a buzz was swelling about the antics of Iggy who would contort his bare, lean, wiry, elastic torso, as well as cutting his chest up with broken glass and smearing peanut butter all over himself before flinging himself into the audience. It's been said he was the first rocker to stage dive. The Stooges' career didn't last long, but it made a huge impact on the music scene as their out-of-control music and image became one of the touchstones in the development of punk rock. This album lays the blueprint for the punk bands to come, and stands on its own as a document of raw, untamed energy, as well as being pretty damn tuneful, at least until the final track. Over the years, Funhouse has gathered huge critical acclaim, and if they'd only trimmed L.A. Blues a bit, this album would get a five from me, but I've gotta be honest and award it a four and a half. I fucking love the Stooges, even though I realize that the band is relatively unknown to the general public. Hell, I don't even expect this podcast to get a lot of downloads. But if there's one of you listeners who gets turned on to the Stooges through this show, then I'll consider it worth doing. At any rate, if you've never heard of the Stooges, give them a shot, especially if you're a fan of 70s punk rock. It starts right here. And now here comes my big shout out to all the listeners who have downloaded the podcast and liked it on Facebook. We pay attention to who's listening and where you're from. And believe me when I tell you, we can't thank you enough for giving us your time when there are so many podcasts out there to listen to. We hope you'll continue to enjoy the show, and you all make this podcast worth the time and effort to produce. So thanks again. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on iTunes, so if you're an Apple user and you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it there. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. 
For you Android users, the podcast is available on Stitcher. You can leave comments and reviews there too, and I'll read your reviews on the show from there as well. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, which is another place where you can review the show, and there's a link to hear each podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Gentleman born, James Newell Osterberg Jr. became educated. A gentleman born. The guy's. When he was born, his name is James. Okay. <clears throat> this kid was born. The baby was named James Newell Osterberg Jr., but became Iggy Stooge for the Stooges' first album, and then he became known as Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop! Iggy Pop!